NWP Radio. You're listening to NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. NWP. So, welcome listeners. This is NWP Radio. It's August 2020, and we're excited to have with us three guests who are the three folks behind uh, a document that probably that you have already been looking at in terms of anti-racist teaching in English language arts. We're going to hear from the three folks behind this document a little bit about its origins and how you can use it to continue your anti-racist teaching journey um, into the school year. Because we have the school year ahead, and I think for a lot of us, we are at the point where we've read a lot of books this summer, and now we're thinking about what the action steps might be. So I want to welcome to NWP Radio, Michelle Falter, Chandra Alston, and Crystal Lee. And we'll let them introduce themselves and how it is that they started to work together as a team on this document. So team, go ahead, uh, introduce yourselves. Thanks, Elise. My name is Michelle Falter, and I'm an assistant professor of English language arts education at North Carolina State University in Raleigh, North Carolina. I am a teacher consultant with the Red Clay Writing Project, which is based in Athens, Georgia. And I've had the honor of working with the National Writing Project on a few different projects over the last 10 years. So um, I'm glad to be here. I'm Chandra Alston, and I'm an assistant professor in literacy policy analysis and program evaluation. It's my first semester here at North Carolina State University, and I'm excited to do some work around literacy and policy and particularly understanding some of the new pushes around Common Core and writing in schools. Hi, my name is uh, Crystal Lee, and I am also an assistant professor in English education at North Carolina State University. I'm a big fan of the National Writing Project, and I also teach teaching writing to high school English teachers at North Carolina State University. And I'm also the director of the Literacy and Community Initiative at NC State, and our mission is to amplify student voices through student publication, advocacy, and leadership. So just to say, because of what you're doing to support the improved teaching of writing and student voice, all three of you are members of the National Writing Project in spirit. So just to say, welcome, welcome to the network, supporting young people and young people's voice. It's also the case you're all working together at NC State. Yes, <clears throat> yes, yes, we are. Yeah, I've recently just joined, but have been really, really welcomed by Michelle and Crystal and the entire faculty to do this work. It's fabulous. And now the three of you, before, Chandra, you actually moved, were already working together on this document, which some people have probably seen. It's originally, it's a, it's a Google document, and it's kind of interesting. I think all the way back to things like the Ferguson syllabus, et cetera, there's this now great tradition of crowdsourcing materials into a Google doc and using them to support teachers. So your work is right in that sweet spot of how we help each other learn. But there were so many of those kinds of documents, resources to think about anti-racist teaching and to make sense of, of all the conversations that 
you know, they've been going on for a long time, but they really escalated the summer after the murder of George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter protests. So there were so many really quite wonderful materials and resources and readings, webinars going around. But one of the things that struck me about the materials that you all put together is that you really looked at the question of what it would mean to be an anti-racist English teacher and really focused in that direction. Would you talk a little bit about that, about your resources focusing on English and literacy specifically? Yes, yeah, so this is Michelle. I think, as you had just said, Elise, there are many, many resources out there. And I think for me, I wanted to kind of make sure that there was something that was focused specifically on English teachers, because all three of us are English educators, have that background. And there's a lot of general resources that are really great, but sometimes it can be difficult to apply more abstract concepts to some very specific content that we all teach. And I, I hope that other professionals will do similar things with different subject areas. And I know that this document um, has been viewed by science teachers, math teachers, social studies teachers, but we really wanted to focus on what our passion was with English education and really tried to narrow down on those resources that specifically were looking at the different elements of what we do in our classrooms and not just focus on how do we teach books, but also how do we think about language as language arts mm. teachers? How do we think about what writing looks like through an anti-racist approach to teaching? Thinking about, you know, even just our dialogue that we have in classroom spaces and how do we bring about student um, voice and agency? So those resources are really looking specifically at our craft. This is Chandra. I just want to say that, you know, when Michelle invited me to be a part of this project, I was excited because I remember being a first year teacher and feeling as though I was drinking from a fire hydrant. And also in this time, as you said, there are all these resources, right? And so thinking about how the work that the three of us do in culling and going through resources and thinking about how to support teachers in making sense of those and applying those to their classrooms. This was a way for us to pull those together and, and as a launching point and not just have them grasping for all sorts of things, but trying to pull together in some ways the beginning of a curriculum for them. One of the reasons why it felt like this was exactly the time to start thinking in that direction, that there was a moment in the summer that launched a kind of personal and introspective reflection on ourselves as people mm -hmm. and the way that our perceptions of students and the world and society have been shaped by white supremacy and the kind of work that all of us need to do. And then we get closer to the school year and the question, now what? <laughs> now what happens when I go mm -hmm. back? And so it feels like your document really kind of answers that moment. Crystal. Yes, I think personally, I teach high school English pre-service teachers, and I was thinking about my students who had just graduated over the summer, and what would they want, and particularly, they were really eager students that they wanted to find, you know, the windows, the mirrors, and sliding doors into other people's experiences, and so when Michelle asked that we would write this um, paper together, 
I thought, you know, text and language, and particularly literacy, use allows us to address and you know discuss those inequities and unpack those privileges and celebrate cultural knowledge and assets. So I was thinking about my pre-service teachers and those ways that we have been exploring those in methods and how do they move forward in their first year of teaching. So that was really the encouragement and motivation for me to continue on, particularly with English language arts sort of like the like writing the document you wanted to have ready for your own students in a way, your yeah. own colleagues. Mm -hmm. So that piece of really looking at the discipline and the practices in English language arts and the disciplines of literature, et cetera, were one thing. But the other thing that struck me uh, is that you really arrange them in terms of a kind of action steps approach. So uh, it leads people pretty much through a path. Talk about that a little bit, because that seemed also unique. Yeah, so I think when I looked at different resources, different syllabi, as you talked about, that people have done in the past with different topics, what I was missing as a person who was looking at it is a pathway to doing the work. And I was thinking also about my colleagues and what I would have wanted as a teacher is to give me the steps I need to take. And so I am a critical scholar. I do work around um, critical literacies and social justice and Paolo Freire's work is very important. Pedagogy of the Oppressed is a foundational text in my beliefs about how we work with other people in community with other people to make schools and our society better. And he talks about in that book, this movement from consciousness to praxis or action. And so these steps were developed as a way to kind of think from that consciousness, being aware, starting to learn about ourselves, but others, and then moving into kind of pushing back on the things that we know or think we know, and that's where that interrogation comes in. Um, and then actually, okay, we've interrogated, but now we actually have to do something with that new knowledge and, and make some changes. And anti-racist work is good work when we make changes to what is happening, because what is currently happening in schools is not meeting the needs of all of our students. It's not meeting the needs of our black and brown student bodies and other disenfranchised youth. So. I think it was important for me to lay out a process that we go through that's built on the work of critical scholars. So this pathway that you've described, talk about what the steps are that, that constitute that pathway. So this is Crystal. We have five steps. Um, and so I'm going to just go over them really quickly and just, and they're easy to remember. And so the first one, this first step is to listen and reflect. And this is really, really the most important. Where do we start to thinking about how do we become anti-racist teachers? To listen and reflect. So thinking about the journey to become anti-racist begins at that personal level. So we're wanting you to listen to other community members, students, classroom teachers. How, how are we affirming our students' identities this way? The second is to read. So educators, particularly ELA teachers, understand the importance of reading as a learning tool, right? And in our white paper, we list a variety of books, culturally relevant books that are available to help address anti-racism and anti-bias in English language arts classrooms. And the third is to interrogate. And that might in in include interrogating those texts as well. 
the interrogation requires a deep ongoing critical questioning and referring to what Michelle was talking about before, but thinking about interrogating the ways that we have been acting and thinking um, and unpacking those current practices. And this is, this is a step that's really not that easy. And interrogation may lead educators to uncover hidden biases that they didn't realize they had. And definitely we've done that when we were working on this paper. The fourth step is to act, and it's important that educators move from, as I said before, listening to action, turning reflection into change, and allowing that interrogation to inspire transformation. So language has power, and English teachers should be sensitive, intentional, and reflective in language that can lead to action. And particularly, I think it's also important to act with students and to amplify those student voices and to act with them um, in this way. So step five, our last step of repeat, reminds educators that when they think they're done, it is time to return back to step one, back to reflection and listening, and that anti-racist and anti-bias education is a lifelong commitment and practice. The steps are not just you do these five steps and then it ends that way, but it's actually a continuous process. And so that's why we had those steps in mind, particularly for teachers to apply in their classrooms, but also to participate in that reflection and action to change. Yes, and we were, you know, we were also trying to emphasize that last step of repeating, right? And so sometimes we read a book and we're like, oh, okay, now we have all that information. And not only do we then think about how that affects us and how it affects others and what we need to do, but then we're not done. We have to continue that work, right? It's a lifelong process. We think about, you know, creating lifelong readers, lifelong writers. And this is also anti-racist work is lifelong work. It's not like once and done or you arrive at a place of wokeness, but that it's a continuous process of engaging critically and reflecting and acting and thinking about what you've done and how it's impacted your students and then moving forward and continuing that process. And it would uh, then of course be part of the whole understanding of teaching and practice itself as a lifelong journey. We're not ever done as teachers. And this is another lens to bring to all the ways that our practice should improve. So I think that's really important. You see uh, right now, you'll see a lot of folks using, especially in social media, the phrase rinse and repeat, like we all have on our shampoo bottles, <laughs> et cetera. So yeah, rinse and repeat, uh, a long journey. I love that you shared that also kind of the, um, impetus here coming out of Freire and coming out of his work, because I think for a lot of folks in the NWP network as literacy people, that's a foundational understanding both of social change, but also of literacy work, non-hierarchical, mutually engaging literacy work and the notion of praxis. So uh, I think for a lot of our listeners that helps situate this within that kind of understanding in the field. Now, I can imagine, because it is so very specific, in the very best way, uh, not in a narrow way, but in a, a good way, to the questions we might think about as uh, English language arts teachers, that there might be some folks who might be thinking about wanting to use the document with their colleagues. And certainly lots of people have been working together with their colleagues all summer. They might have been working together to even imagine, for example, what are we going to do with remote instruction with this or that. But once those things settle, I think there are people who are hungry to have some of these conversations with the people that they work with. And your document certainly opens up the notion that it's not a solitary teacher's journey. One teacher on this journey in a school that um, does not support anti-racist 
positions in general will not be uh, serving our young people well. We need a broader conversation at each place. Do you have any thoughts about how this, how the resources could be used with people who want to study together, perhaps in their school or through a writing project? Do you have any thoughts about that? So I, Mrs. Chandra, I'm a big proponent of professional learning communities. I mean, I think that we all are like National Writing Project is a, is a professional learning community. And I think what this offers is a place to begin to dig in around those ideas to pick you know a space and begin to to really work in there are a lot of resources here there's a way of getting into their questions that we ask you to think about and and meditate on and there could be places where you come together around those questions and around those which are difficult conversations to have but part of what learning communities do is allow to, this trust to be built and forged and then you know taking those actions into classrooms coming back together thinking about what you've done and and how how it it jives with what we're saying here in these documents what others are saying about anti-racist teaching and working in that way together yeah we don't see this as you know an individual kind of exercise but one in which you're working with your, your, in your classroom, in your community, whether that's in the school, in the district, and, and writ large among English language arts teachers. I think that this document and the creation of it in itself is a good example, a model um, for other teachers, right? We have three um, educators here. We all come from different backgrounds. I'm a, a white woman and my colleagues are not white and so how do we work together in spaces of difference and i think having these productive conversations across difference um, is really important when we do anti-racist work and i think if i were a teacher who's trying to have a community in their school that moves forward with anti-racist work i would start with the question of what are the needs of my community what are the needs of my student body and my school and that will look different. Every school, every community is different, but this work needs to be done in every school and every community. Whether you have a predominantly white population of students or you have a population of students that is quite diverse or is predominantly another race, it looks different in different spaces, but you need to start with the question, what are the needs of my community? Michelle took it out of my mouth. <laughs> but yes, I think, um, this is Crystal, I think, what are the needs of the community, particularly what are the needs of the students, particularly um, thinking about what are the needs of the students in our classroom and also in our community in our neighborhoods. So I'm a big proponent of partnering with community organizations or nonprofit organizations or the community organizations that are filling the gaps that schooling institutions are currently unable to. So learning from community partners to find out what are the needs of students that we may have um, not been listening to. And so thinking about how do we broaden beyond the classroom, thinking about that community that is actually extending beyond the professional, but also thinking about where our students live and, and how they live as well. Right, right. As important as teachers and schools are, they are just one slice of a young person's life. And there are families and there are community organizations, faith-based organizations, a whole range of things that are important in young people's lives and they know our young people in different ways and we can learn together. 
feels to me like just what you said, Crystal, even more important right now during the pandemic in that whatever we may have had as an understanding of our community, it's probably shifted as people are going through these very trying times and they're affecting different types of families in different ways. So we sort of need to relearn all that. So I think one of the things that I hear from folks who have started that difficult journey that we've talked about, especially to the degree that I think for all of us, we end up discovering blind spots and biases and understandings of experience that were unavailable to us. So I think everybody interrogating all of this work will hit some things that, that feel hard. And then I sometimes hear from people a sense that anti-racist teaching is probably then like really a downer. And actually, from what I see is that it can lead to classrooms that are in some ways more joyous and more fulfilling because they are more engaging. I'm just wondering what you think about that notion of whether this hardness will pervade everything and I'm going back to school. I hear that from people. It's just going to be so hard. But what's your experience with that? This is Chandra. So I work a lot with undergraduates who are thinking about teaching and who I'm also trying to really convince that teaching is the best thing in the world and that young people are the best humans on the planet. And I say it's the toughest job you'll ever love. Most humans think about finding something that is puzzling, that stretches you, that pushes you, that extends you, that after you're done, you're excited about having risen to the challenge. Like when you take on a writing task and you continue at it and it gets better and you find that sentence and you got the right word for it and it feels great and it, the goosebumps comes on your arms, that's part of learning and, and stretching yourself. And I think anti-racist teaching is the same way. Like, when I watch a teacher facilitate a discussion well, and, you know, and they grow and they notice that growth and you can help people see where they've grown and what they've learned, I think that's, that's where joy comes in, where young people can look back over their writing portfolios and go, oh, look, 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 look what I've done. And I think the same thing can be said for anti-racist teaching and practices when we allow ourselves to understand that we all have biases and we all have moments, blind spots. And that as the tagline talks about, uh, anti-racist teaching is not about not being racist, it's about working towards a space in which children and young people are valued and you know, we challenge those biases. And so if we come from that point that this is work we all have to do and we acknowledge our growth in that work, I think that's the joy, right? Acknowledging our work, acknowledging the spaces that we allow for children to be fully themselves in our classrooms and bring their full selves to the classroom. When we allow that to happen, what magic can happen in a classroom? It's beautiful, yeah. This is Crystal, and I think Chandra, you said it really beautifully, is how can we not be excited about having an equitable education? How can we not be joyous about having our students feel fully themselves in the classroom and to understand one another as well? I think that is the goal of education. And so 
I think this is a very exciting work. And so one that is difficult, but anything that's exciting and worthy, I think sometimes comes with some difficulties. And but it's, it means it's completely worth it. And we want our students to feel fully, fully human in the classroom and to also to respect one another as fully human too. And I think that's really the goal of education. So it gets me excited. And I Michelle, wanna, you... Yeah, I just want to echo um, what both Chandra and Crystal said. This is exactly, it's joyous work. It's liberating work. And if we can do some of these things, our students are going to be lifted and free from confines that have held them back. And that is liberating. We can think about just as a, a specific example, oftentimes English teachers feel this pressure from standards and all of these other policies, but an anti-racist educator is thinking about, you know, where is the power and critiquing these places that put children in boxes or confine them in ways that don't allow them to be fully themselves, fully human. And so anti-racist education is is Joyce because it's liberating people to be the best that they can be. And that's what I hope all teachers want for their kids, their students in their classroom. Um, and that's very empowering. I could listen to you all forever, though we are winding down the the episode here. I'm thinking how wonderful it is to imagine all our young people becoming more fully human and a why wouldn't that be a way also for us as teachers to become more fully human at the same time? So I would recommend to those of you who are thinking about doing this work with your colleagues in, in English language arts and in many ways also across the curriculum, as you mentioned, other teachers are also looking at the resource list. You may want to check this resource out and you can read about it on the Right Now blog at Medium. You can see a bit about it and take this episode anywhere. Consider with your colleagues if you want to follow through this pathway. Thank you all for creating it, and thank you all for uh, joining us here on NWP Radio. Thank you. You're thank you. To NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. NWP.